broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico. I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. My files were blown open. My, my papers were stolen. We never found out who did it. My attorney said it was the government. There was no doubt that it was the government. But what they were looking for, I don't know. What they thought I was doing, I don't know. I don't even know if it was the government. That was an interview with the mighty Philip K. Dick, an author of what was primarily perceived to be science fiction, but since has been reevaluated by scholars, futurists, and critical thinkers alike as premonition. It seems that many of the technological visions and paranoid fantasies that Philip K. Dick forged in his greatest novels have since come true. Throughout the years, I've interviewed numerous subjects who could have easily been classified as a tantamount archetype, a character from one of Philip K. Dick's novels. Claims of deep government minds watching their every move, the underground programs that develop methods of mind control, all of which can be found in the PKD universe. Tonight's guest is the epitome of a Philip K. Dick character in the flesh. If you were to meet one of these characters in real life, I suspect the same questions would arise. Is he telling the truth, or is it all a manic fantasy right out of his imagination? Judge for yourself as our guest returns from a previous episode and spins another amazing yarn after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Call Recall. With a memory of your ideal vacation. You were interested in a memory of, uh... Mars. You're gonna love this, Doug. Yeah, but how real does it seem? As real as any memory in your head. You are on your most important mission. Do you want to know the future? What about the past? You are not you. You're me. You erased your identity and implanted a new one. Quato wants what's in Quaid's head. You're Quato, right? Wrong. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? You wouldn't hurt me. We're married. Consider that a divorce. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. My name is not Quaid. And now we could have total recall. I want Quaid delivered for reimplantation. Get ready for a surprise. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. We hope you enjoyed the ride!
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Paul Richard Price, originally told us a tale of UFO sightings and alien abduction that lasted throughout his life. There's much more to this story. In this new discussion, Paul claims that he was a targeted individual and was primed since birth to be part of something greater than just an ordinary existence. I allow him to tell his tale without any bias or harsh judgment, but certainly not without questions. So without further delay, here's the second chapter and the conclusion of my interview with Paul Richard Price. Well, it all started back in 1975 when I was about seven and a half years old. I was um, a student at the uh, local elementary school in uh, Missoula, Montana. The school had burnt down and they, at the time, did not know why. They thought that it may have been an a arson or an electrical fire, but I don't think they ever came uh came up with the actual cause of the of the uh, school uh to being torched and burning down but we went to a lo to the uh, local army um fort and until they did the uh, repair to the uh elementary school uh we were put there uh as a substitute for the school and while I was over there, I got bored with doing all the work I was supposed to be doing, and I would ignore the work and look out the window and watch birds fly. I was more interested in figuring out how they flew than I was doing the work that I was being told to do. I was, uh, as it turns out, I have an above genius level IQ. The intelligence quotient that I've been um, tested for has tested between 163 to 200 plus so as wow. uh, go ahead please chris i, I was just going to say oh I, it's okay i was just reacting to um to what you said your test scores were well that kind of tells you that as a boy i got bored schoolwork did not excite me i was more interested in aerodynamics than uh, chris learning anything that I could learn uh, by doing the schoolwork. I knew how to do it, bored me next. So they thought reportedly, quote unquote, that I had some sort of problem. So they sent me, quote unquote, and I put that in quotes, to the University of Montana's Research Center, and that's in Missoula, Montana and to be tested and they tested me every day for a little over a year they ran the gamut of tests from intelligence tests to psychological aptitude tests to uh uh fiscal test motor coordination test and even one test in particular that was not run by any of the people at the facility that I knew of, but by people who came in from the outside and ran a series of tests on me. And the series of tests used the Zener cards. And can you explain what those cards are? Okay. And I thought you might have already known, Chris, but... I do. 
but some people in the audience might not, and I'd like to give some background and description of what the Zener cards are. They have about 15 to 45 different symbols on the front, fronts of the car or on the backs of the cards. On the front, it's either blank or it's, it has the same uh, montage as a um, uh, game card, a playing card. And they show you before you take the test each and every one of the symbols. After they they reshuffle them and then afterwards they go in and they show you the back of the card which has no symbol on it. Your job is to guess what symbol it is. It's either if you make all of them, you're statistically uh, different, or if you miss all of them, at least in one out of every 25 to 45 cards, a person will make just randomly one card out of 45. Laws of statistic, statistics show that that's the case. And it's been proven uh, uh, through laboratory settings. But it's when you miss them all or make them all that, that it becomes a statistical anomaly. I missed every one of them which they thought was weird. When they went back and rechecked the test results, it turns out that I was five ahead in the sequence. So in other words, five ahead in the sequence, meaning you were guessing correct, and it took some research to dive in and find out that you are accurately describing something that would be five cards later. Okay. In other words, it shows a um, strong precognitive ability. And with the uh, individuals, and let me name names here of the individuals who were involved in that testing regimen. The third one, there were three of them. One was Dr. Hal Putoff. The other one was Russell Targ, and there was a third one. He's no longer with us, but he became a NASA astronaut during the shuttle program. His name was Frank. He was the one who was administering the test, while the other two observed. It was after that, and and at the end of the testing regime, they said, oh, he's a normal boy. You know, we're going to let him go that... My father was given an offer to take me to Montauk Point, Camp Hero in uh, New York from Montana. They paid him and my mother a lot of money to do that. Now, were you aware of this conversation at the time, or was it later explained to you what happened? Well, what happened was, is that later on, I had, for some reason, forgotten about what happened, you know, during that. I had remembered afterwards when I uh, was able to get information on Montauk Point, and it jogged my memory, that I remembered my father talking with somebody who came into the trailer house in Missoula, where that we used to live at. 
and my father, they came and asked him, they said, you know, basically that, you know, your boy's special. We'd like to test him. And here's some money. If you allow us to test your son, here's some money. At the time, my father... So you recall this gentleman coming to your home as a child and coercing your parents with a stipend to allow you into one of these early testing programs. Well, yes, I remember that. And it wasn't, I think, one, but it was two people. Okay, there were two people, two uh, federal agents that came in. And basically, I hate to use the adage here, but or the term here, but um, remember the... Um, um, the line from the movie, The Godfather. Which one? Let's make him an offer he can't refuse. It was yes. one of those things, <laughs> man. It's where uh, they basically said, well, we can make your life easy. You just do this for us or else. So my father took the money, took us on a road trip out to Montauk. We drove from Montana out to... Uh, New York. And it was just my father and I. We get to Montauk and I remember him, you know, going through, we went through all the buildings. We went through what I, what they now call the psychedelic building. And I remember looking at my father and saying, that's weird. Why all the weird colored uh, wallpaper? And he goes, and my father made a joke. He goes, I think that somebody was actually tripping in here and that's what this is designed for remember so wait a second you 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 got to montauk and you recall different patterns on wallpaper yeah and we also went through the uh, cafeteria area and got a bite to eat. okay wait, yeah. wait 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 before you go any further because we i have seen photos of that particular house. It was an above ground situation, right. correct? You, you weren't underground. Um, and it was different rooms in the house. There was a paisley pattern. There was a checkered pattern. Do you remember the other patterns that were there? I don't remember a whole lot. I remember that we went into the house. We went up a uh, flight of stairs. We went into a room and kind of looked around and said, this is weird. And then we came back down and what happened was afterwards we were invited by one of the people there to go get a bite to eat at the cafeteria. So we went in there and got us something to eat. And then we took, kept walking through the facility, went to the area where there was a two lane bowling alley. And my dad mentioned that he, he wished that he could, we had enough time to play a game or to bowl, uh, bowl a game. And then it was soon after that that we were called, and they called me in. They stripped me down in my underwear and laid me in in this particular building, had no, um, from my recollection, had no windows. At the time, it had white walls. It had no speakers in it. Now, I'm pretty sure they may have had video cameras, but I didn't see them, and I don't recollect that to my to the best of my ability. But what happened was is that 
all of a sudden they shoved me in what I thought was a chicken coop, shut the door and just told me to lay there, lay still and not do anything. So I did what I was told. Now, I didn't find out until years later that that chicken coop was a Faraday cage. And there was no speakers. For the people that don't know what a Faraday cage is, can you explain it? It blocks uh, electromagnetic sig uh, signals or energy. And uh, is what they call inside the cage, it's a quiet zone. There's no electronic interference whatsoever. And what's the purpose for it? Well, in this particular uh, experiment, I was showing very strong psychic psychic capabilities. Therefore, they wanted to tell to test, and it was all about consciousness research. They wanted to see if psychic abilities transcended uh, our physical plane of existence, and that. If I could receive and transmit signals via brain ability, that means it would pass through uh, dimensional space to communicate and bypass the physical impediment of the, um, or impedance of the um, Faraday cage itself. Which would mean that the um, whole idea about psychic abilities is not a, not a electromagnetic thing, but it's interdimensional in nature. And I didn't know this at seven years old. I had no idea as to what was going on. I just did what I was told. And I kept dozing off. They had me in there for about 14, if not more hours, laying on my back. And I would doze off. And like I said, there was no speakers. So there was no way for me to hear anything. But what happened was a voice popped into my head, an audible voice. Wake up like that. And as a little boy, I'm going, where did it come from? Okay, I'm awake, I'm awake. So I lay there and just chill and then doze off again. And then the same thing repeated itself, wake up. So I would wake up and they would do that over and over again. And then finally, my father got a little bit miffed, saying, don't you think you've had more than enough time with my son? And he ordered them to let me go. Well, the chief scientists who were involved in that project kept telling him, no, 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 we're not done yet. Just give us a little more time. And they got into an argument, argument turned into a fight. My dad pulled his uh, uh, 38-caliber Smith & Wesson, pulled the chief scientist, put the gun to his head, and said, and the military police there had their um, M16s drawn on them. So your, your father wasn't searched for weapons before he entered this program with no. you? Why do you think that is? It goes back to the fact that my father used to work as a member of the um, Phoenix program in Vietnam. 
he already had an above top secret security clearance. And if your listeners do not know what the Phoenix program was, it was a CIA sponsored assassinations program during Vietnam, where they would send in snipers trained by the CIA to go into uh, Cambo- uh, Cambo- Cambodia, Laos, and North Vietnam to take out the Viet Cong leadership. My father was one of those snipers. So they knew he was carrying a weapon, but they thought at the time that he was a patriot and that he would not be a problem. However, he got a bad feeling about what they were trying to do, and he told them to get me the F out of there or he would kill F and kill them all. And I'm bleeping out what he said. The ironic thing is there was no windows. I didn't see what was going on, but I was able to see what I would call a vision, interdimensional vision, where I saw the whole thing transpire. And it turns out that it did transpire in the way that I saw it. They got me out of there. They had wiped my memory for years. I had no recollection for many years after that that event took place. Until And all throughout that time, though, throughout the years that um, proceeded that um, event occurring, we would travel from one city to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, never staying in one place more than six months at a time. And every time we would go to another place, Chris, there would be U.S. uh, CIA um, officials doing intelligence tests on me and psychic tests on me in every school I went to. So no no matter how far my father traveled and how secret he thought he was, he was being, you know, covert. He was uh, trying to be. They always knew where to find me. It was during that time that my father would panic and tell my sisters he was paranoid about what they may or may not try to do to me. So he told my sisters, my two older sisters, uh, Jacqueline and Teresa, that when I walked when they walked me home from school, <clears throat> if there was anyone in a unmarked car that would try to go by and grab your brother, yank him, don't walk, but run. And run to the house and, and don't stop. And it was because of the fact that he felt that they would try to kidnap me and to force me into a government program. And there were several times where there were unmarked uh, government cars that had only uh, U.S. uh, government license plates on them, you know, signifying that it was a government vehicle. Was it a typical situation? Was it a typical situation that these programs would approach someone who was who has children and that they themselves were in a previous program or involved in their organization, like in your father's case? Not necessarily. <laughs> I knew a guy who um, 
was a personal friend of mine who was a part of a uh, similar government program back in the 50s where they would find what they call gifted children. And they would uh, offer the parents money to adopt them and then put them through the best schools, the best training and all. And then at, after they were done, they would work either for, for uh, private industry and or the government on um, classified government projects or others that were um, deemed necessary for the national security of the United States. So no, not necessarily. But in my father's case, it made it easy because my father, Chris, had already been a part of a classified government project. So they knew that they could go to him through um, existing channels, back, back channels that they had with them and say, well, we'd like to do this work on your son. Your son's very gifted in particular uh, ways. And my father, you know, God bless him. <laughs> he does love money. And from what I understand, they did offer him um, quite a bit of money to get me to take me out to Montauk. Do you remember the actual price that was offered to him? Well, remember, this was back in 1975, so I think it was around $7,500. Okay, and what would that be adjusted for today? I think it'd be over $27,000. $27,000 for how long were you in the program for? Well, I was only in the program for a very short amount of time, only about a day or so before my father forced him to pull me out of there. Okay. But... From then on, they they watched me and watched my growth and all that. And I had uh, times even in my up through my adulthood where I was being watched by military helicopters. One happened just recently where um, I was having threats being made by an uh, industrialist that I know. Uh, he threatened my life. And they had an, uh, an Apache gunship buzzing over the area um, with its, uh, well, let's just say it was, in my opinion, I've seen it happen before throughout my life, where they were protecting me. Now, if you're wondering, and if your audience is wondering, why would they uh, specifically target me even as a boy? There's a reason for that. It goes back to the Roswell incident, not so much my dad's story. Even though my dad was a Roswell witness. Now, just to clarify, in our previous conversation in the UFOs from Hell episode, you had mentioned that there was an abduction at the trailer house where you grew up. This was in Arizona, correct? No, it was in Texas, actually, Conroe. <clears throat> But it happened okay. years later, about five years after this event took place. So, so it happened after you were in this government program. Correct. Do you think at all these incidents were related? I wonder sometimes, you know, because I've interviewed a lot of people that claim they were part of the Montauk Project, if it had, if it existed, and I believe something to some extent did. So I support some of the things you're saying. 
Um, but they also have these more outlandish claims of different creatures under the base, aliens, uh, reverse engineering of alien technology, interdimensional travel. Not that I'm saying that's impossible. I'm just saying you have these government programs which have been proven in the past to have existed, and they really did happen. And now you have all this other stuff. And I'm not saying the alien abduction didn't happen to you, but it's interesting how, and if you maybe you can connect some dots for me, how you claim you were in this program when you were a child and you remember this and it was confirmed that you were there. You went to Montauk, you went into a structure that I know also existed uh, with those patterns on the wall. And then a couple of years later, your family is visited by beings from another dimension or another world. Can you tell me if if you believe that any of this was connected, that if the government also knew you were visited, um, I, I definitely want to see if if there's more information here. Well, I was about to get into that. Uh, what happened was I didn't find out until years later, uh, Chris, that in 1999, the scope of what happened to me and why the government took interest in me. There was already a pre-existing notion that they had wanted to, and that's why they abruptly did the Zener card test, is because they had already had information regarding potential possibilities of my future, and they ran the test to confirm it. Now, let me explain this. It goes to what I was told in 1999. I was going to school at San Antonio uh, College in San Antonio, Texas. I was taking courses in computer science. I had a friend of mine who was taking courses in psychology, Donald, who was taking a course from uh, one of the department heads in the psychology department in parapsychology by the name of Dr. Billy Rose, William Rose. And I'd never met the man before. I didn't know who the guy was. I had no idea who this person was, but he knew me. And he went to Don and he says, Don, you know Paul Price, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And Don told me this, relayed this to me, by the way, Chris. And he goes, can you uh, arrange a meeting to introduce us? And he goes, I sure can. He goes, why do you want to know? He goes, I have my reasons is what Don told me that Billy relayed to him. So, and he goes, do you know who Billy is? I said, I have no idea. Well, I went and was introduced to Billy and even uh, sat in on his parapsychology course. And it turns out Billy had a doctorate in theoretical physics, had worked on classified projects um, for the U.S. military and NASA. He, he also had a master's in psychology, and he worked also in classified projects dealing with psychological operations for the U.S. military. It took years of discussion and prodding, Billy, in order to get him to tell me what he knew. I was being watched very closely by military assets at that time. And at the time, Chris, I was homeless or practically homeless, living in a, in a um, 
homeless shelter and all. But then I'd have these uh, military Apache helicopters following me and making sure that I got where I, uh, where I, where my des- where I was heading to my destination. Uh, and just to clarify, yes. at what age were you when the um, when you were homeless and and living at the shelter, and that you were, you know, you kept seeing the helicopters? It was twenty seven to thirty one. Okay. And what happened was, I didn't know why these military helicopters were observing me. I mean, they were friendly. I actually, even though I never met the pilot of one of the helicopters, I would wave at him, do a thumbs up, and he thumbs up at me and wave and smile. And I thought, well, that's a friendly fellow. But then it kept bothering me. I kept wondering, why are these particular people paying attention to me? I didn't think I was that important. Billy explained to me later on, after some prompting, he asked me, he goes, your father is a Roswell witness, correct? And I go, yes. He goes, what if I were to tell you that the Roswell craft was not an alien craft, but that it was a time machine? And I go, yeah. And he goes, what if I was to tell you we tried to replicate it the back engineer and replicated, but we couldn't do it. And I go, okay, you got my interest. I, I heard s- some stuff about that before, Chris, but nothing in that much detail. And he goes, what if I was to tell you that we were able to replicate some portions of the Roswell uh, engine and that it gave us the ability to look into future events? up to 12 different scenarios because it deals with multiverse theory. And I go, okay, you got my interest. He goes, what if I was to tell you? And then he asked me, he goes, do you know, have you ever heard of operation lightning strike or not lightning strike over here, operation uh, looking glass. And I go, no, I hadn't. And it was before looking glass became relatively well known. Dan Burrish was the one who later on explained in detail um, what Looking Glass was. He, he goes, uh, what if I was to tell you, and he explained what, what Billy did, what Looking Glass was, what the project did and, and entailed, and it gave them a way to look into future events. And he goes, what if I was to tell you that in 12, 12 of those different scenarios, your name came up? Your name and your image came up. And I went, okay. And he goes, and I said, well, what about? And he goes, I can't tell you. I may have already adversely affected the timeline. He goes, you'll have to find out from this point on on your own. I go, well, can you give me at least some guide to get to know what I need to look for? He goes, it's geopolitical in nature. I can't tell you anymore. They knew about me back when I was seven, before I was seven years old. Operation Looking Glass did not, I was initiated in 1950 or 1963, actually, initially. And I was born in 68. So you wanted me to connect the dots. And this is why I went down this rabbit hole with you. It's because they already had already prior knowledge. 
of what I was supposed to be doing. And that's why they kept very close tabs on me and why they initiated the program in the, fl- in the first place to test me when I was seven. what you're doing but one did she do that what are you gonna do with it i'll bring her here so you can do all your tests and you give her to me charlie has the power do something bad but you still love me she can set things on fire something's happening in there with just a glance it is a power she does not want stick with him so am I, honey. A power she cannot control. Back up. And each night, she prays to be just like every other child. We haven't got her yet. We left. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her. To control her. Charlie! And maybe destroy her. Charlie! Come to me, Charlie. Go! You're gonna have to burn it down, honey. Burn it all down. Charlie McGee is Stephen King's Firestarter. Will she have the power to survive? So just to review, they've known about you since your birth. Um, you've had all of these incidents happen. You were brought to a facility that is now well known as a unproven, but close to proven uh, program, at least to some extent. There's a lot of things to, that I personally found through some of my projects that that can support that there was activity there, that something happened that was tantamount to other you know, secret government programs at Montauk. So you were part of that. You were tested with the Zener cards prior to that. Uh, you had an alien abduction at your home. My question is, what what's the what was their end game to all of this? Them following you around, them testing you. Eventually, they would want to put it into some kind of application. Did that stage follow? Did they use what they were training you for? Remember, there's more than just secret covert operations work and even all that. They looked at the bigger picture here. You are, Chris, let me explain to you. You were thinking in a finite or uh, um, finite viewpoint. Did they want you to do this job or this job? No, 
the indicators that came from uh, Billy Rose before his, he passed, he died, he was murdered. But the indicators that Billy told me, and he used the term indigo children, and he called me one of the chosen ones. These are es esoteric statements um, that come from um, occult beliefs. You should know about that. From your research, what does the term the chosen one mean? Or, or the chosen ones? Well, from, from my research, there were human subjects, unwilling or under false pretenses, in a lot of cases, like in the Holmesburg prison case, MKUltra, any of the radiation experiments, or uh, the Tuskegee medical experiments, were all people that thought they were being tested for something else and they were being lied to. And these are the ones we could prove. In the case of the Montauk experiments, I think it was similar. There were other experiments, of course, that were testing people's psychic abilities, and we know about those. They did exist. Those experiments did exist 100%. Uh, but in this case, you know, I'm asking because I don't know. I don't know what your testing was eventually meant for. Uh, Christopher. Yes. The statement made by Billy Rose, the last statement he made, and then he didn't talk about it anymore after that. Well, let me backtrack. Initially, he kept telling me to research indigo children. Now, the term indigo children basically means hybrid. Uh, Alien-human hybrid, or in, in my case, I believe that it was um, the Watchers or the Chosen Ones who were uh, breeding with women, and that it caused a genetic variant. And what was happening is, when I was initially talking with uh, Billy, I he discussed with me about indigo children, which are star children. The, you know, you, you've heard the term. And I asked him, I said, you know, scoffing, I said, well, Billy, are you trying to tell me that I'm a hybrid? He answered my question with a question. He goes, what do you think? And then that's when he started discussing later on about the chosen ones. These are people with genetic variations. Now, I didn't know the extent of what my genetic variations were until I, um, had a DNA test run on uh, 23andMe. It showed 13 chromosomal, um, I wouldn't say defects, it's not the word, they were aberrations in my uh, chromosomal makeup, 13 of them. Generally, and it's called mystery DNA or mystery uh, uh, chromosomes. Generally, when people, most people will have up to eight uh, mystery vari variations to their DNA structure, normally. It's when you get more than that, which mine was nearly half of my DNA structure, that, they're, it, that it's considered anomalous, that there's something that they causes a scientist or a doctor's head uh, for them to scratch their heads and they're going like, what's going on here? Well, they already knew that about me back since I was a young child, if not before I was born. And 
Billy indicated that I was a chosen one. And the thing is, it's because the chosen ones are genetic aberrations. To use the term from the um, X-Men, which I'm pretty sure you're a big comic book fan, this reportedly is what the government gave Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. That's that is a true story. That they were visited. They were visited by the government while they were creating the X Men comic books for sure. That's been confirmed. So that's true. Uh, continue, please. No, and it dealt with what they considered a. Um, um, alien human hybrid program. Now we can go back into that situation where, uh, looking at the, uh, gosh, what was the, uh, Granada, uh, uh, the Granada treaty, but it went further than that. They were developing what I would call cloning technology, but not to develop clones. Remember with cloning technology, you don't need to clone the the uh, specific person outright, but you can use the same technology to inject or to pull DNA, um, DNA material out of the uh, DNA sequence and resequence that DNA with new DNA postulates inside the uh, chromosome. And what we're looking at is that they use that technology to develop hybrids or mutants from what i've heard some of the experiments came across well you know they you know there was a perfect match some didn't didn't go as well as they thought it would but there are key small group of of us people of us children who i'm now 54 now i'm not a child anymore but back when i was a child who were experimented on in this manner, who did survive. Some of those individuals are a part of the um, establishment. They're politicians and all. Some of them are military personnel. Others are scientists. But in my, in my situation, what they wanted done with me, because they had already seen my uh, what potentially I'm supposed to do in the future, and explains why I was um, interact or why uh, a thirty third and a third degree Mason, Warren Buffett and others tried to get me to join the Masonic Order and all. It's because they've seen what potentially is my destiny, and they're trying to steer me towards that destiny. Like I said, Billy wouldn't tell me, but he did state that it was a geopolitical thing, which means geopolitics. What would that tell you? If you look at even biblical prophecy and other prophetic statements about they're supposed to be a one world ruler. What they're looking for is that that one world ruler will be um, what I believe is a genetic hybrid. And that's why they called us the chosen ones. It's because we are not, how should I put it? And also, if you look at my bloodline, 
my bloodline, I come from the royal bloodline in, in five or six different families. Italian, you know, German. And again, I'm not doubting yeah. anything. It's just trying to wrangle the information in for the novice listener. And a lot of us are. You know, a lot of us aren't deep into this research. So to fully understand it, it has to be, of course, not dumbed down. I don't believe in that at all. But just explained in terms that could be understood if this is the first time you're hearing it. And so what I'm gathering here is you were, this is part of your destiny or your predestiny. It was almost like you were designed this way and you were monitored since birth. Your father was involved in some very top secret programs. He was around for the Roswell crash. You were visited by aliens. You were a part of the Montauk Project. And I've talked to a lot of people that claim they were part of the Montauk Project and their stories vary. And in your case, you're bringing up a lot of information that some of which has been proven, uh, you corroborated by other people's stories. Um, you know, and, and of course I'm not doubting it. It's just to get the best information out of the situation I, for the audience and for myself to learn. You're saying that your genetic code was destined for this testing, for this research and observation. And at the age of childhood, okay, throughout childhood and adolescence, you were monitored, looked at, you had odd things happening to you. Aliens were visiting you in the middle of the night. In your adulthood at any point in time, I'm just curious as if to eventually did they put any of this in regard to their observations or regard to the testing, did these organizations that were watching you put this into play at any point? Did it go much further? Well, no, they wanted me to find my own path. They didn't want to alter the path in any way because they are really concerned about causing aberrations in the timeline. Because with whatever they may be planning, and we're seeing some of that coming across right now with the uh, COVID issue and all. Can you um, can you elaborate on that? They're looking at trying to set up a one world government. And with that, they need a spokesperson. They need somebody uh, that has a charisma and can be able to interact with people and get them to do what they're supposed to do. That is what they're looking for right now and why they have tried their best to steer me in that path. Let me explain this to you. Uh, When it deals with classified government projects, I'm a technologist, you know, mainly dealing with um, gravitational modification. It's really disappointing to me that all the work that I've done in gravity modification doesn't amount to a hell of beans to these people and that they're more concerned with what my ultimate destiny would be and that would be to um, have me become a significant... um, player on the chessboard, if you know what I mean. Right. 
And with that, they'll do whatever they can. And I've had this happen to me before, and it it irks me, but I understand why they're doing it. But it does break my heart because in relationships I've had in the past where they thought that the girl would be not good for me, they have literally intervened to cut off that relationship. It reminds me of it. What was it? A Philip K. Dick story, the adjustment bureau. (laughs) (laughs) Literally it's not nice. And I, and, but honestly I know, and I'm working towards getting a, um, since I've been told that I have a geopolitical um, future, I'm trying to think of the right words to use the terminology, but um, then I have a a destiny that's geopolitical in nature. I'm trying my best now to use... It's funny, I I just brought up Philip K. Dick, and a lot of these stories are similar to a lot of his paranoid, I think, prophecies. Do you think Philip K. Dick was monitored, visited? Because it's just uncanny. All of the things he wrote were were premonitions, it seems. Well, Phil K. Dick, from my research of him, he was actually, um, years ago, uh, before his death, he worked as an agent, I guess, either for the FBI or the CIA at one time. And he was a part of experimentation uh, using LSD and other drugs. In fact, he had a very bad uh, LSD habit at one time. So he was able to channel a lot of the visions he saw in one of his trips into a cohesive um, set of stories that he then wrote down and published. Yeah, but they were so specific. And if you get even into further, someone who was in heavy drug use was um, William Burroughs, who was a genius but wrote about Interzone and, you know, in, in Naked Lunch and all of these fantasies seem to be in line with a lot of these, these programs. Were you ever a user of psychedelics outside of maybe an, an experimentation that you were brought into? Did you ever try? Well, let me explain something to you real, real quickly, uh, Chris. I don't need those. When I was younger and even now into my adult years because of my psychic abilities, I'm able, and I have been able to transcend, and and this is just my experience that I'm relaying to you, dimensional space through my mind. I've done it before. I've had trips mentally where I've crossed the dimensional plane and went to other dimensions where I saw creatures, bulbous energy uh, creatures that were attacking people in that other dimension, killing them. They tried to attack me, but they couldn't bypass that dimensional barrier. In my opinion, what I was seeing in front of me was hell. And I, and I had an interaction with that, but I don't need psychedelics to do that. And this is why I think that they were so interested in me is that because of my abilities, I'm able not only to see in the future events, but to look at things through a transdimensional lens. 
And that's why they wanted me as a part of this project. Not only was it uh, Looking Glass showing that, but also the mere fact that I have, I wouldn't say that I astral project, because I don't believe that that's the case. There was no silver uh, line keeping me attached to my body. But my mind expanded from my physical presence into another dimensional space. And I believe that that can happen. I believe if a person is trained, they don't need to astral project at all. It's like you can receive information and project information over vast distances of space-time interdimensionally. And it's how your brain processes that data coming in that gives you the ability. I I don't like to use the term because it's a it's a a lot of Satanist Satanists use this term, and I'm a Christian. The third eye, but it's literally something like the third eye, where you can actually see through a broader spectrum of reality than what we can currently see uh, with our own sight or even sense through our own senses in our physical reality. No, I understand that. I believe that that can be achieved without enhancements, psychedelics, anything like that. I truly believe you can do it with your own mind if you develop that strength and focus and uh, you keep those doors open, your doors of perception, right? Without the chemicals, I, I truly believe it's achievable. But it requires a lot of research, a lot of understanding, uh, meditation, if you will, um, observation of a whole variety of things in nature, in art, in life. That's part of your life's journey. Well, plus another thing you got to understand with people with uh, enhanced genetics, we have that ability and we don't need to be trained in it. It comes through our genetics. That's why it was so important for them to watch me over the years. For example, I had to deal with a young lady. I still have to deal with her. Don't hate the woman. But, you know, she had a she had it in for me. She got angry with me. And, you know, I don't know if you've had to deal with that before, Chris, but you got a woman who has it in for you and she'll do whatever she can to make your life a loving hell. <laughs> no comment. Well, this woman conspired with her cousin to have to have me arrested and taken into the Montana State University um police station and they were questioning me and the guy ran an NCIC check on me, you know, a criminal database check with the uh, uh, dispatcher. He finally came back. And the ironic part is when it came back, it had a WCYXN code on it, which is an executive um, order code that only the president of the United States, United States can put on there. And he asked, well, what does that mean? And the dispatcher told him, he goes, Brian, that's a federal do not hold, do not detain order. 
And he goes, how the hell did uh, th- that guy get that on his phone? He goes, I don't, she goes, I don't know. But if I were you, I would let him go. It won't bode f- well for you if you don't. The point I'm making about that is that when deals with classified projects and all, they will keep you under watch and you will get literally a get out of jail free card. Do you believe that all of the things that have occurred in the last couple of years or three years since March of 2020 were previously uh, planned and developed in underground bases or secret programs? Well, that's a good question. I can't uh, say one way or the other uh, with any certainty on it, but what I can tell you is that I believe that they had a record of what may potentially happen and then planned for it. Look at what happened on January 6th. You had federal agents intervening in that, quote, protest, allowing people to go into the Capitol building and who wouldn't have went in there beforehand. They had insurrectionists there, not the people who went to jail, mind you, but insurrectionists from Antifa and BLM there who were, who were the ones who actually pushed the issue. That shows coordination and planning. Therefore, in spite of whether or not it came through underground bases or had things pre-planned or not, they had to have had prior knowledge to the to what the potential events were so they could plan accordingly. This is what we're looking at with the government projects and why I believe uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower gave that famous and infamous warning about not trusting the military industrial complex. That is what we need to be concerned about right now. It's because they're the ones who are funding A lot of these programs are not being funded by the U.S. government directly, or even at all. Not my project and not others. I've since found out that it was done by private companies, but with the cover of a government contract, either through the CIA or Defense Intelligence Agency or one of the military branches. But uh, the money came from private coffers. And why should that uh, scare anybody? And it should scare the holy hell out of everybody. Because it shows who is actually running our country right now. And it isn't the U.S. government. Everyone that's right now in Congress, as well as the president, for the most most part, would not get their elected positions if they were not chosen for that position, which means that they are all puppets. They may not start off being that way, but eventually they'll find a way to compromise them and to get and to bring them in line. Or if not, we see what happened to Kathy, to um, Seth, and to um, uh, Andrew Breitbart, when they didn't want to toe the line, they were murdered. Let me ask you a question. Who Who is in control, in your opinion? Well, people might call it the Illuminati, but 
I believe that it's certain key people uh, within certain royal blood uh, bloodlines. And the reason why I know that is because I'm a part of that. My uh, genealogy goes back uh, to France, to the royal family there. I'm directly related to King Louis XIV. I'm directly related to the uh, royal family in right now the Windsors in England through the Germanic bloodline, as well as the Welsh royal bloodline and Italian royal, royal bloodlines as well. They believe that, they're, that they were predestined to rule the world because they have what they consider superior genetics over the inferior genetics of others. We can go into uh, um, eugenics at a later time if you want, but we're looking at a group of people whose whole reason for being is that they believe that they were given a edict from either their God, Lucifer, or some other being into believing that they have a manifest destiny to control the world. you got to understand that the issue with sex trafficking and child trafficking deals with some of the most disturbed individuals in the elite who believe that every normal or every person we would call normal people and even children are commodities that they can exploit. And if I have my way, I would end that immediately. Now, I don't know what my destiny is. Can you create a scenario for me where it could be ended? How, how could it be stopped? It seems like it's at a fever pitch of its po- worst possible scenario. It might get worse. You know, I mean, you... you um, and again, I'm not doubting you. I'm just saying you claim to have psychic abilities and incredible insight, genius level intelligence. What what could you perceive through probability what's going to happen next? There's only one way to put a stop to it. Is to have somebody become the president of the United States. To have the courage to go in there and to not be a, a party man toting the party line. One who would be willing to use every tool at his or her disposal under the U.S. Constitution to take these traitorous individuals, to have them to apply criminal uh, charges against these traitorous individuals, and I'm talking about the international elite, bring them, have them tried under a military tribunal and either put in prison for the rest of their lives, cut off from all their funds, or two, execution. Which would put the fear of God into anyone else that may try to promote this new world order agenda. The only way to deal with these people is using their own methods against them because that's all that they understand and i'm i'm a peaceful person but it makes me angry 
And I don't like getting angry, by the way. But it makes me angry when I see a child having to suffer because of the warped actions of a bunch of pedophile elites. We could go into adrenochrome and all that other stuff where they're using kids to build an elixir that gives them the fountain of youth. That's what's happening with child sex trafficking. And again, I'm not doubting you, but we're, I've heard this information before. What is the source of this information that you're talking about? And if you can give a little background on an adrenochrome for the people that don't know, what, what's the source of this? How can you confirm that this is true outside of your, what you claim your own experiences were? How could someone confirm that this is a real thing? And again, I'm not doubting it. I just, you know, we need to know so people can feel secure about step one, which would be believing that this is true, making sense out of it, and then conquering it somehow. Well, here's what we're looking at. I mean, uh, the adrenochrome issue has been out there for years. Uh, One of the more prolific writers in the 20th century was Hunter S. Thompson. He wrote an autobiographical book called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was later made into a movie. Well, can you give me a little history of adrenochrome itself and where that surfaced? You said it surfaced for the first time in Hunter S. Thompson's book, or was it something else? It goes back for many years. Adrenochrome uh, was originally uh, made to help in World War II to help uh, people who were going into shock after being shot to help keep them from having a heart attack. It's adrenalized. What it is, is that it's adrenalized blood. Generally, the body produces adrenaline uh, as a response to the uh, flight or flight response in the human physiology. It's when you put a child, especially a child, through uh, torture. And they found this out when they were doing the MKUltra experiments. And not only that, but it proceeds that um, Germany was experimenting with adrenochrome at the, at the uh, concentration camps during the uh, 40s. So we're not talking about anything that's been new. We're talking about something that has a known history. And you can look it up and believe it or not. There's a Wikipedia page, which is, and, and I'm not going to promote Wikipedia because they're a bunch of crap, crap heads, in my opinion, but they got it right. They had the chemical symbol of adrenochrome. So there is an actual uh, substance known as adrenochrome or adrenalized blood. But the thing is, the pituitary gland creates adrenaline during the flight or, uh, fight or flight response. And with that, your body gets that pump in adrenaline and it gives you uh, either the ability to fight your way out or to get, get, out of, get out of the area before you get into any further danger. It's when you take that to a higher degree with children and they're being tortured both sexually and physically 
that that adrenaline gets oversaturated in their blood. The whole key to that is is to torture the children to a point where they're right about to die. And before their death, and I, I'm going to get graphic here with your audience, so uh, this is a disclaimer from this point on. If you don't want to hear this part, fast forward uh, the uh, recording. But I believe it should be it should be known. They scare them to a point where they're about to die, where their heart's about to stop. They cut their jugulars and then drain the blood. And secondly, they then take forceps, shove them into their nose, and remove the um, pineal gland. This is what these elites do to get their ultimate high. I'm... I am not a staunch believer in all of this, but after doing a lot of research, after speaking to people over like a 20 year period, a whole variety of people, people with much more even tempers and level heads that they could sit and contemplate this stuff and actually do some research and prove that some of these things are actually true, that these programs have happened, that people have been tortured, people have been led under false pretenses by our government, you know, uh, makes one at, at least take pause. You know, someone who is not as privy to this information as you are, okay, would at least take pause if they're of intelligence and say, it doesn't, this is starting to make sense now. And even then I still approach it with caution. It's the most disturbing thing to accept and believe the things you're saying, because it means that our leaders have been lying to us for a very long time. And in some cases, people's reactions are violent and crazy, and they lose their minds because they can't handle the fact that we've been lied to. Some of us, you know, like myself, will remain calm and say, well, if this has been happening since forever, there's no reason to freak out over it. It's just trying to understand that we've been lied to, that we've been duped for a long time. Now, how do we get out of this? And I want to leave uh, the audience with some positivity because this stuff is gruesome and dark. And even if you consider believing in it, it can cause depression and a bleak perspective on your future. What is the, is there some sunshine at the end of this darkness? Is there a new dawn up ahead. And maybe you couldn't possibly answer that, or you might be able to perceive that maybe we're in the process of conquering it since we're all f realizing that there's something wrong. Um, hopefully I'm making sense. Well, here's what I would tell people to do. One thing, don't listen to what you're being told on, on mainstream media or in the news. Be willing to have an open mind. Learn what you can learn. But more importantly, one thing that I used to always tell people on my talk show, which I'm restarting, is that we must unite as citizens of humanity, not just of the United States, but of the world. We must have a common thread we must go through. 
we must unite against these evil, evil people. And we must say, because there's more of us than there are of them. We must not try to repay evil for evil, but we must be willing to be real with ourselves and use our knowledge to, for the benefit of all humanity. One thing I did, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up right now, Chris, is that I'm releasing the audio book of my um, book, Redemption of Prophecy Chronicle Story. And it should be released hopefully around the 10th of December for download at uh, Audacity. But at the very end of the book, and I don't like giving away the end, the ending, but it shows eventually, even though we're going through what I would call a living hell on earth at this point, that there will be light at the end of the tunnel. There will be the ultimate battle between good and evil, and good will win. We're not going to see it probably now, unless we are willing to accept, one, that there is truth to what is being said, and two, be willing to take action to make sure that we protect those that we love and protect the future. And that means our children. If we can show love to some of the people who may not know anything about this, and they may have a hard time grasping the concepts that I'm talking about right now. And it's not easy when you know, because I was involved in these things when I was younger. I know how sadistic these people can and are, but it doesn't mean that we have to be. The best way to fight the darkness is by exposing it with the light and to be light bearers every single one of us and to love your neighbor as yourself. To show love to your fellow man, even if they're showing evil to you. Learn forgiveness. Well, I truly appreciate it. Uh, and I ask every guest this on the way out. And this is the conclusion of our, our two-part episode, this particular. We'll, we'll have you back down the road again. But I ask everybody this. Uh, if you were to retain your consciousness on the way out of this existence, this physical existence as who you are now, what would you take with you? Well, with me, I would take with me the love of my family, the love of my daughter, my grandsons, my daughter, Amanda, my grandsons, Galen, Zane, and Brady. And that is what I, and my love for, you know, my God. And that's what I want to keep for uh, primarily first and foremost in the forefront of my mind is that I want to be able to have happiness, to have peace and everything, even if things aren't the best, but know that there, that overall there's good and there's love and focus on that other than on the negatives. So I hope that answers the question. 
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. Mr. Price offered his story without any hard evidence. I'm always cautious of what I believe, and his claims should be considered delicately, regardless of whether I think Paul is telling the complete truth or not. I do believe there are general elements to his story that are true, that have been proven, even if it's not Paul's reality. Until our next night gathering, try to enjoy the daylight. <laughs>